Amen. Hey, that's right. We are once again in the intro to apologetics. That's right. I had to draw the little bracket there to finish it out. And uh, just by way of recap, uh, recap, we are going to take a look at uh, uh, the existence of God is where we've been dealing with for several chapters. Everything has a beginning. That was the ultimate first argument. If it had a beginning, there must be a beginner. And we see that everything had a beginning point and that proved the existence of God. Number two, everything has a design. When you see design is something, it implies a designer. Once again, another argument for the existence of God. But then we took a little detour after we dealt with chapter three. What about evolution? Yes, that is an I in there, evolution, because that's what it spawns, right? Act like there is no God, people act like it. Shocker, okay? Uh, you say you came from an ape, they act like apes. You say that there is no reason or rhyme for life, then why are we shocked when they take life? And that's what they're putting in people's heads, okay? Spawns evil. What about the evolution? Then we took that 42-week detour, and then we came back in action with another argument for the existence of God. Again, what's the study about? Intro to apologetics, to give a defense for the hope that lies within us, that God is real. What does our world say? Oh, no, he doesn't exist. Yes, he does. We dealt with the existence of God through morals, right? Where did all these universal moral laws come from, especially if they say evolution is true? Why do we even have universal moral laws? Why does every culture on the planet know it's inherently wrong to murder, to steal? Where'd that come from? They don't even have a copy of the Bible. How did that get inside of man all over the planet? Because we were created in the image of God, morally and spiritually. They came from a moral lawgiver, i.e. God. And then the last couple of times we talk about, well, what about the Bible? Because isn't that where it really ultimately goes? You could sit here and you could even deal logically, philosophically, and biblically why we know there is a God from the argument of beginning and design and the argument of morals, okay, you can even point out the errors and the lies and the serious problems with evolution, okay? But ultimately, it'll come down to the source of truth, all right? You and I, of course, would say, well, that's from the Bible. What's usually the typical next response? Oh, yeah? How do you know the Bible came from God, right? And that's not something that you and I should run away from. We just need to get equipped. That's a great question, and praise God they're asking that. So let's continue to get equipped with that aspect. Now, we saw there in uh, the chapter there, page 39, Let's take a look at that. Let's examine that. How do we know, even as Christians, that the Bible really did come from God? We saw that the premise was, does the Bible display the qualities and characteristics, page 39, that we would expect if, in fact, this book really did come from God? So we took a look at some of that evidence, okay? And uh, we saw, number one, if the God wrote this book, i.e. the Bible, we would expect it that he would uh, say that he wrote it, number one, right? So what do we see in the evidence there? Uh, yeah, he did write it, and he said that he wrote it over and over and over again. Just in the Old Testament, 3,800 times. God said he wrote this book, and he wrote it and, and said that emphatically. We see that it would come from the very breath of God, and that God would be the one who inspired this to make sure that man didn't mess it up, right? And that's exactly what we also see there uh, in the Word of God. If God wrote the book, we'd expect it to be very popular. Why? Because I don't know. I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not, even as a Christian. Have you noticed that you could read the Bible and you could read uh, the want ads? And this one seems to be a little bit better. This really seems to impact your life a little bit better than, hey, do you know what that code is? It says it's AC with the PW steering. And... Yeah, it's very popular, right? Because this book came from God, right? This is from God. This is not some want ad. This isn't some secular book. This is from God. So if it really did come from God, do you think that people would go, whoa, give me a copy of that It's extremely popular, okay? The Bible is the number one bestseller uh, of all time every year, but they leave it off the list. Otherwise, it would be redundant, okay? Then we saw if God wrote the book, we would expect it to be timeless, 
okay, which we saw, of course, is the case, and would be understood by everyone. Is anybody glad besides me that you do not have to have a 20-year degree in order to interpret the Scripture? Is anybody glad that you don't have to wait until you're 72 years old to get saved? You have to be that a kid, a child, can understand the Scripture and get saved. Anybody glad about that? Anybody wish you would have got saved when you were five? <laughs> you saved a lot of pain. Okay. But the Bible is profound to keep uh, theologians going and still going for centuries, but yet it is so simple that even a child can understand that that came from God. Okay. If God wrote the book, it would be perfectly unified and harmonious. And that's exactly what we find. Why? Because God doesn't lie. If this book came from him, it's going to be accurate. We'll see that, Lord willing, again tonight. Even with amazing characteristics we saw, the Bible was written over 1,600 years, three different languages, three different continents, different genres, different literatures, different writing styles, 40 different authors from different backs of life, 66 different books. The people didn't even know, by and large, most of the times who they even were, different generations. They couldn't check each other, and it completely is unified, same message through and through, and it never contradicts itself. There's no way that came from man. It's unified. It doesn't contradict. It's not full of lies, okay, because it came from God. And if God wrote the book, we'd expect it to change lives, Anybody here been changed because you read the Bible? Not only before you got saved, leading to salvation, how about afterwards? You keep reading it? It's, it's weird. I don't know if you know this, but it's like, you know, you read it and, and, and you keep reading it and, and you keep reading it and you start looking more like Jesus. What a concept, right? Is it any wonder that the enemy does not want you and I, Christian, even though we don't doubt this came from God? Before we go through any of all this logical evidence, why well, it had to come from God. It's a totally unique book. No book on the planet is like the Bible. But any wonder why the enemy wants to keep you and I away from this book? This is where you renew your mind. You renew your mind, you become more like Jesus. Just do anything and everything, but don't read the Bible, okay? This is the only book on the planet that unbrainwashes us from the brainwashing we receive from the world, right? So he doesn't want you in there. All right, so let's take a look. Now we're going to move on to the next page there, page 43, okay, uh, number seven. Or for those of you not hooked on Roman numerals, that would be VII. Okay, as so you can see there, uh, it says this. If God wrote a book, we would expect that it would be, here's your blank, powerful, right? Right? Powerful, because this is from God. This isn't a man-made book. This is from God. How many guys would say that probably took mm, a little bit of strength, a little bit of power to just say this, out of nothing, Boom! Spoke a word. Now you're awake, Tom. Works every time. Boom! Spoke a word, and boom! The whole universe leaps into existence. Stars and everything that we can't even number all that. How many guys say that's a little bit powerful? How many guys say a little bit powerful when God, I love it in Ephesians, because when he talks about God uh, with the earth, and he creates the heavens and the earth, right? Right, in the beginning. <clears throat> in Ephesians, the idea is like, it's so cool in the Greek. I wish you could... Yeah. And he talks about God, you know, uh, uh, bringing the earth into existence. It's, it, the idea in the Greek is just like he, it's like a magazine. And he just, almost like, an, almost as an afterthought. God's so powerful. And he just, he just flings it on the table. Oh, oh yeah, the earth. Right? That's what the Greek is. It's phenomenal, isn't it? God is so powerful. The whole world. How many guys, how many guys have been all over the planet? No. How many guys can gather, though, from watching TV? Uh, it's kind of big. It's extremely minuscule compared to the universe, which is what we already saw. But then, can you imagine creating this whole planet? I mean, the whole thing, fully functioning, it's working. Don't have to call a plumber. Oops, I got this wrong, and I got this wrong. Right? It's all working, and it was just more like an afterthought. This is God. 
God is one, right? Well, guess what? This book came from God. God created this thing. So, man, he's got the power to do the universe. He's got the power of the earth. It almost as an afterthought. Don't you think this is going to be also a powerful book? Exactly, okay? Again, the enemy doesn't want you in there. Why? Because you'll become a powerful Christian, right? It'll start oozing out of you, okay? But let's take a look. So that's logic, right? If this book came from God, it should demonstrate some power, right? Well, let's examine that. The Bible makes the claim that it will never be destroyed, okay? Heaven and earth, Jesus said, will pass away, but my words will never pass away, Mark 13. Uh, 1 Peter 1, all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. These words are proven true when we consider that many people and governments throughout the ages have tried to destroy the Bible, yet it survives. Now, before we get into some of those examples, uh, flip it around. Or to use the vernacular, flip the script, right? Uh, why is it just the Bible? Why throughout history are people always trying to destroy the Bible? Why don't we see people out there going, we've got to get rid of the Book of Mormon? That probably wouldn't be a bad thing to do because of those lies against history. But you don't see the big charge for that. We don't see the government saying, we've got to burn every last copy of the Hindu Vedas. You know what? We are, this whole world needs to gather together. We need to burn every last copy and then celebrate on its grave all the writings of Sigmund Freud and secular psychology. Yeah, would, again, that would be good, right? Why is it just the Bible? Bingo. Because they did not love the truth, right, uh, is the issue. So, but let's take a look at some of their attempts, right? But this book is powerful. You think it's God's book. It came from God. Do you think you're going to overpower him and get rid of his book? No. Okay, let's take a look. In 100 BC, this has been going on throughout history, folks. 100 BC, Antiochus, the IV, that's where you know, we learned that in the medical industry, no, once again, it's a Roman numeral. So you guys, come on, catch on, right? Uh, Antiochus IV uh, burned all the scriptures he could find and decreed death to all owners. Yet, guess what? Turn to somebody and say, I got a copy of the Bible. <laughs> he lost, right? But hey, he's been gone for a long time, but he's not the only one. <clears throat> In 301 and 304 AD, the Roman emperor Diocletian burned thousands of copies of the Bible, commanded that all Bibles be destroyed, and decreed that any home with a Bible in it should be burned. Good thing we see no signs of that coming back. Pay attention, folks. Remember the term that we saw in the final countdown study. It's now becoming, in the United States, a hate crime coming okay okay and uh, let's go continue on thousands of copies of the bible he commanded they be burned any home should be burned uh, uh with the bible and in fact he even built a monument over what he thought was the last surviving bible and then claimed the christian name has been extinguished however the very next uh, emperor so uh, constantine made christianity the state religion of rome 500 years after diocletian's death his grave a huge mausoleum uh became a christian church building can I translate that for you? I believe that's God's way of going, nanny, nanny, boo, boo. In Jesus' name is what's going on there. You go, you, you, I created the universe. The earth was like an afterthought. And you think you're going to destroy my powerful book. I don't think so. Because that's what's going on. But, oh, man, does not want to stop there. The Roman general, nephew of Constantine, named Julian, proclaimed that his book, entitled Refutation of the Christian Religion, would destroy the Bible forever. Let's take a poll. How many guys ever even heard of that book? How many guys have heard of the 
Bible, right? Okay, so much for that. All right. Now, Voltaire, this one's the funny one, the great French philosopher, he said, in 100 years of his time, the Bible will be forgotten and an unknown book. Hundreds of, uh, 100 years later, the Geneva Bible Society occupied his home. Um, let me fill in the blank because there's more to it. Didn't just occupied. They used his home to print tons and tons of Bibles. How many guys would say that's round two of going, nanny, nanny, boo, boo, excuse me, I'm going to use your house to print Bibles. You ain't going to destroy this book. Right? Lou Wallace says this in the 1800s. He served as a writer, a Civil War general, a governor of the territory of New Mexico, and U.S. ambassador to Turkey. He was a known atheist. For two years, he studied the leading libraries in Europe, seeking information for his book that he believed would disprove the Bible and forever destroy Christianity. Again, why is it just the Bible? Why aren't people on this gung ho mission? We've got to take out Hinduism. That's right, we got to take the evils of shamanism, right? Animal worship. Why is it Christianity? Why is it Bible? Why do people always attack on that? Okay, that should be a clue. While writing the second chapter of his book, he found himself on his knees crying out to Jesus, what? My Lord and my God. The same thing that Doubting Thomas said right? When Jesus appeared to him, okay? Because of the indisputable evidence, he could no longer deny that the Bible was the word of God. And later he wrote, whoa, interesting, Ben-Hur, right? One of the greatest English novels ever written concerning the time of Christ. How'd that come from? That came from a guy who set out on a mission to try to destroy this powerful book and disprove it. And God says, oh yeah, watch this. I'll save you and use you to do Ben-Hur, Let's all do it for the third time. Nanny, nanny, boo-boo, in Jesus' name, right? He's got the power to not just keep going, but to change lives. And I want to give you another one that's not in here. This is a, another one. Simon Greenleaf, you guys remember him? We talked about that. And before, he was an agnostic, some would say an atheist, who believed that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was just a myth, a hoax, whatever. Okay, and he was no stranger to uh, truth, uh, to prove truth, to demonstrate truth, to find out truth, because he was the principal founder of the Harvard Law School, and he was literally the world's top expert at the time. He was the royal professor of law at Harvard University. Uh, at the top of his profession, he was respected around the world as literally one of the world's literally most brilliant legal minds. Okay, in fact, some would say he was the greatest legal mind that ever lived. Okay, so he penned uh, what became a uh, textbook on evidence in law and how to you know dis discover the truth on things it was called a treatise a treatise on the law of evidence and considered still to this day one of the greatest books legal books ever written right and greenleaf always had a phrase that he would drill into his students as he taught and that phrase was this have you considered the evidence consider the evidence right this guy's a brilliant mind top law whole nine yards writes textbooks on it teaches law right Right? And that was his phrase. Well, he doubted the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is a true story. Only God can write this one. Right? One of his students one day in class challenged him about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, no, that's not true. That's myth. But they repeated back to him his repeated phrase. But, Professor, have you considered the evidence? Oops. No, he didn't. He was being a hypocrite. Right? So he got kind of, you know, okay, fine. And he set out to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay? But here's what happened, okay? He ended up concluding that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was indeed fact, not fiction. Being a man of conviction and reason in accordance with his conclusions, he became a Christian, just like the other guy, 
You start dealing with the facts, you be honest, right? It's going to lead you to the fact. And then he wrote another book, and this is another classic. It's called The Examination of the Testimony of the Four Evangelists, uh, and uh, in which he wrote, quote, it was impossible, impossible that the apostles could have persisted in affirming the truths they had narrated had not Jesus Christ actually risen from the dead. The world's most brilliant mind, according to these guys, ever on law, investigating evidence, the top guy on the planet of all generations said, when I looked at the facts, I was a skeptic before, but I was forced to conclude the resurrection of Jesus Christ really did happen. You can't deny it. And he became a Christian. And yet what do people still do today? They not only deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but they do the same thing. Have you considered the evidence? Have you, take, have you even read the Bible? Are you going to be an authority uh, on the scripture and say this really didn't come from God? It's whooped up by men as we saw before. But you haven't even read it? Have you really considered the evidence? If you're an honest intellectual seeker of the truth, you would think, as he got caught, you take the time and examine it. But time and time again, if a person goes in to try to even disprove the Bible, to attack the Bible, to say that Christianity is a bunch of baloney, when you get in there, and if you're honest, oops, it's real. Hey, here's the great news. There's no way I'm worthy to get into heaven. The Bible says God is holy. I am not. The wages of my sin is death. I'm in a heap of trouble. But keep reading. The Bible also says God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And that if we would receive his work, what he did for us on our behalf, him taking the death penalty for us, God will let us go. He'll set us free. We'll be forgiven of our sins. Wow. Works all the time. Let's take a look at another one, uh, a recent one. During the 1950s, the Soviet government, who outlawed owning or even studying the Bible, built a grand building in the Kiev in Ukraine to house the communist headquarters for that region. In 1994, the author of this, Dr. Russell Penny, or, or this different guy, he had the privilege of teaching the Bible to the entire freshman class of this very building, which then housed one of the first Christian universities in the former Soviet Union. Round four, in Jesus' name. This book is from God. You can try all you want, but you're not going to destroy it. It is powerful, right? And he will not tolerate that. One guy said this, no other book has been so chopped Knifed, sifted, scrutinized, vilified, what book on philosophy, what book on religion, what book of psychology has been subject to such mass attack as the Bible? With such venom and skepticism upon every chapter, every line, every tenet. Yet the Bible is still loved by millions, read by millions, studied by millions. Infidels for 1,800 years have been trying to refute and overthrow this book, yet today it still stands as solid as a rock. Its circulation increases more and more. It's even more loved, more cherished, more read than ever before. If the book had not been the book of God, it would have been destroyed a long time ago. Okay? Emperors, popes, kings, priests, princes, rulers have all tried their hand at it. They all die, but the Bible still lives. Round two on this one. Turn to somebody and say, I still got them copying the Bible. <laughs> Don't ask me whose voice that is. It's just coming out that way tonight, Tom. Okay, I must be in a weird mood. All right, let's move on to the next one. Number eight, or for those of you still not hooked on Roman numerals, V-I-I-I, okay, uh, the pirate language. Uh, let's move on, Tom. There you go. It's, it's eight, right? Pieces of eight pirates. For, anybody besides me? Okay, never mind. Uh, if God wrote the book, we would expect it to be true. Now, why is that an obvious point? God is holy, right? Which means without sin. 
right? And last time I checked, the Bible says that lying is, it's okay because everybody does it. I'm only human. Just, no, it's just a small one. No, it's a white one. No, it's chartreuse. No, it's got plaid. Look at the polka dots. You can color it. You can size it. It's still a lie. You shall not bear false witness the next commandment, right? So if it's consistent, this book came from God, and God is holy. He's without sin. He can't even lie. Praise God he doesn't. So therefore, if he wrote this book, it can't contain lies. Isn't that logic? Well, let's examine it, okay? If a book really is from God, we, the Bible, we would expect it to be not just true on spiritual things, right? But we would all, it's got to be true through and through, historically, scientifically, archaeologically, philosophically, and morally accurate, okay? And we're going to take a look at the first one. Is the Bible historically accurate? Is your blank there. Is the Bible historically accurate? All right, let's take a look there at the evidence. About 100 years ago, it became popular to criticize the Bible because some people felt that it had historical mistakes in it, and some believed that eventually archaeology would prove that the Bible is not historically accurate. Now, 100 years ago, why do you think 100 years ago, all of a sudden it became in vogue, if you will, to try to slam the Bible and accuse the Bible of just being whooped up by man? Bingo. You had the age of reason just prior to that over in Europe. Europe, even after the Reformation, didn't last but a couple hundred years or so and started going dark. And as goes Europe, history says, so eventually goes the West, America and Canada. Okay. And, uh, but basically, you had the age of reason, right? Which wasn't all bad because that's where you had you know, scientific things and whatever. But then it just became man-centered. Man is the center of all things. Man is the one who will fix the ills of society. Man, man, man. So that was kind of a negative side effect. Well, out of that, then eventually you became uh, with evolution, with Darwinian evolution that led to. And so that's about your time frame. This is starting to take off. So guess what? Here comes this attitude. Oh, come on. This is just a bunch of baloney and stuff of that nature, okay? And then you got Karl Marx coming on uh, the scene there, and he believed that uh, religion uh, was opiate for the masses, right? Just to keep people in line. Preachers just want your money, right? The church is just to brainwash you, to keep you in line. The government uses it to keep you in line. All that baloney that was there, mentioned there. Sigmund Freud, about the same time frame, about 100 years ago, he comes on, he's an atheist, evolutionist, and he said that he believed that the idea of God was made up by our forefathers to cope with life. So all this is starting to come to a head. So about 100 years ago, and that didn't used to be that way, all of a sudden, and still on up, unfortunately, to today, people have this skeptical attitude towards the Bible. However, just the opposite happens. See, they thought, well, I tell you what, we're going to prove that this book is not from God because we're going to prove that this book is not historically accurate, which means it contains lies, which means logically it cannot have come from God. Right? So that's what they accuse it, okay? Modern archaeology, though, has helped us to realize that the Bible is historically accurate, even in the small details. Uh, there's been thousands of archaeological discoveries in the past century which support every book in the Bible. Now, let me give you some examples you can see here. Critics used to believe that Moses could not have written any of the books in the Bible because they believed that the writing did not exist back in his time. But then, in what year? 1902. Guess what? Round, what are we up to now? Five? Nanny, nanny, boo, boo. Okay, archaeologists discovered the Code of Hammurabi, which proved that writing was not just in uh, Moses' time, but long before he's even born. Hello. As we saw before in our creation studies, especially with the pre-flood society and what we find it buried in the dirt, we find that the further you go back, it's the exact opposite of evolution. Evolution would have you and I believe that it's only recently that we're able to have all this intelligence and, and technology and all this stuff. No, you go back in history and you get the stuff we find in the dirt. These people were smart. 
right? They were, in fact, they're doing some things in the past we can't even repeat today. But that agrees with the biblical account. That man was, it's, if anything, we're devolving, we're getting worse. And all this technology we have, we just found more ways to blow ourselves up, haven't we? How's that helping things out, right? I think it was the year two, at the year 2000, the year 2000, just between the United States and Russia, how many more is it now? Just between the United States and Russia, we had enough nuclear bombs on the planet to blow it up six times over. Yeah, we're advancing great. Yeah, this is great. We're devolving, if you want to use their term. Uh, 1902, they discovered this. That wasn't true. Oh, by the way, and aren't you glad that in 1902, they took out headlines all across the world. Major newspapers paid for it out of their own pocket because they repented and were very remorseful for this attack of the Bible and said, we were wrong. No. That's another, another thing. Critics used to believe the Bible was wrong because they felt that King David was a myth. They pointed to the fact that there's no archaeological evidence that King David was an actual historical figure. But in what? 1994, keep digging. Archaeologists discovered an ancient stone described with references to King David and the house of David. Okay, oops, got that one wrong too. Critics used to believe that the Bible was wrong because there was no evidence outside the Bible that a group of people called the Hittites ever even existed. So they said, aha, this proves that the Bible contains mythological things that are not true, blah, 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 blah. But then in when? 1906, a German archaeologist named Winkler, not to be confused with Henry, was excavating in Turkey and discovered the capital city of the Hittite Empire, I love this, and the entire Hittite library. Not just one, but 10,000 clay tablets. Don't you know that the angels were looking there that day? Hey, how many tablets do you count, Bob? One, two, three, four. 10,000 of the people that you mocked the scripture and said, no way, you can't be true. We can't. How about 10,000 tablets talking about these people? You going to stop now? No, they just keep on going. But God keeps having the last word, all right? The history scholars translated the writings discovered that everything the Bible said about the Hittite empire not just existed, but what the Bible said about it was true. The next page, 45, critics used to believe that the book of Acts was not historically accurate. A man named Sir William Ramsey, one of the greatest historical archaeological scholars in history, decided to disprove the Bible as the inspired word of God. Uh-oh, uh-oh, we've already saw two other guys try this. What do you think is going to become the outcome here? Because you're going to get saved. That's right, Bonnie's going to get saved. That's right. Uh, let's take a look. He decided to disprove the Bible, showing that the book of Acts specifically could not be historically accurate. But 30 years of digging around, guess what happened? In the Middle East, Ramsey came to the conclusion, quote, Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy. This author, this is according to this guy who started out non-Christian. This author, Luke, should be placed among the very greatest historians of all times. He wrote a book on the trustworthiness of the Bible, Ramsey, based on his discoveries and converted, is your blank there, converted to Christianity based on his research. And listen to this, Sir Ramsey found no, zero, nothing, no historical or geographical mistakes at all, period, in the book of Acts. Why? Because this came from God. This is not a book whooped up by man. God used man, he overshadowed the process, he inspired by his spirit, but he made sure it came out the way word for word. As the scripture says, not even a jot, not even a tittle, not even a little hash mark. You're not going to destroy this book. This book came from God. 
And he demonstrates it time and time again. But he says this, no historical geographical mistakes. This is amazing. When we realize that the book of Acts, Luke mentions 32 countries, 54 cities, nine Mediterranean islands, and 95 people, and he did not get one wrong. How many guys ever taken a vacation? Right? Ruth will use you because you guys go to someplace out of the country and it rhymes with Bahamas. Right? Bahamas, right? Okay. Been there a couple times. Okay. But uh, it's another country and you probably meet a lot of people. Right? You run into them, you know, whatever. And you go to different, uh, a lot of different places. Maybe some of the same, right? Now, if we were to ask you to write down historically accurate all the places you went to there with the exact names, with the exact names of the exact people, with the exact location, do you think you would, even though it's true and you were really there, that you would get it every single person, name, right, city, place, name of the restaurant, the whole nine yards? No, but yet you really went there. He didn't get nothing wrong on all this stuff. Man couldn't do. Man can't do that. But God inspired it. Okay, he did not get one wrong. Compare that. I love this. Listen to this. Compare this with man. Man trying to record history. Uh, the Encyclopedia Britannica. The first year the Encyclopedia Britannica was published, it contained so many mistakes regarding the places in the United States. It had to be recalled. Oh, but you, if it's on the internet, it's got to be true. Yeah, whatever. You'll believe that. Okay, the chicken is good for you. Yeah, moo all the way, buddy. You, get, you want your gum now or later? Later? Okay, right now. I don't want to hit your mom in the head again. Okay, but uh, anyway, uh, I think we're okay now. We're okay? Is our relationship secure again? <laughs> but no, but, but uh, you'll doubt the Bible? You'll sit there and believe everything on the internet, but you'll doubt the Word of God. Have you considered the evidence? Are you being a hypocrite? Have you even read it? Most people do what I used to do as a non-Christian. You parrot what the media and the secular education says to think about Christianity in the Bible. And you never investigate. And it's sad. But as we see some of the world's most brilliant minds, if you go into it honestly and you actually read it, what a concept, and you check it out, you're going to come to the conclusion that it is, in fact, true. It had to come from God. It couldn't come from man. And therefore, what God says in here is true, and you get saved. Because last time I checked, the gospel, which means good news, really is good news. I don't know about you, but when you find out that you're in a predicament, that you deserve to die and go straight to hell, but God is willing to forgive you 100% past, present, future of all your sins, and all you got to do is receive it, yay, (laughs) I'm glad it's true, right? And that's what happens. That's why people get saved, okay? Uh, But anyway, so Encyclopedia Britannica, you got Luke, no mistakes. It's impossible. Man can do that. Uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, can't even get it right. Had to be recalled. I want to flip it around, flip the script, if you will, uh, to Mormonism. I want to demonstrate you just some problems there, right? Because they say, well, haven't you heard that? Well, it's uh, another New Testament of Jesus Christ. The Book of Mormon, it's accurate. Right? It's another rule. Who, have you ever you tried to tell somebody, well, this is what the Bible says. I'm sorry, but you can't trust the Book of Mormon. Well, how do you know that the Bible's better than the Book of Mormon? How do you know that? All right, well, we know archaeologically with the Bible, zero mistakes because it came from God. How's Mormonism doing and what they write with archaeology? Not them good, okay, as they would say somewhere. On the planet. Let me give you some facts. Metallurgy. The Book of Mormon describes the various usages of iron, steel, brass, and various metals in the Americas before the birth of Jesus Christ. The problem is archaeology has shown that metallurgy did not appear in the Americas until about 9th century AD. Oops. 
got that wrong. Weapons of war. The Book of Mormon describes the presence of chariots and other various weaponry that was supposed to have been used in the New World according to their dates. The problem is archaeologists have found neither evidence of chariots or other weapons mentioned in the Book of Mormon at this time. Strike two. Major battles. The Hill of Cumorah in New York. Woo! That's a big place for them, right? Okay. As described in the Book of Mormon, to be the location of two major wars involving the deaths of millions of people. How much archaeological evidence have they found of weapons, of these wars, or any people's remains in the oodles of millions? Zero. It involves millions of people, and you can't even find a weapon? That's not true. Uh, crops and agriculture. The Book of Mormon describes the various agriculture of the Americas as being similar to that found in biblical times in the Middle East. The problem is archaeology has shown that the Americas at that time did not grow those kinds of crops. And what crops were grown in the Americas that we know, uh, they weren't even mentioned in the Book of Mormon. So you got them wrong both ways. Okay. The use of linen and silk. The Book of Mormon describes the use of linen and silk in the New World at their time. Neither silk nor linen uh, have ever been found during that time frame they mentioned. Animals, the Book of Mormon describes various animals like donkey, cattle, oxen, even elephants living in America during that time frame. The problem is they never existed in not just North America, but Central America, South America during the time that the Book of Mormon mentions. And to put the nail in the coffin for them, and yet they still knock on the door. And it's like, have you considered the facts about Mormonism? And if you have, you're going to point out, to, who's going to witness to the Jehovah's Witness? Who's going to witness to the Mormon? We've talked about this before. Don't slam the door on those folks. They're just as lost as anybody else. Who's going to slam the door ain't going to help them. But you need to get equipped with the facts. That's what we're doing. Get equipped with the facts to share the gospel to them. Because, who's, because it's one thing to witness to a pagan on the street. right? Their minds kind of open up and they might have their ideas and stuff right there. But they're not really set, per se, in their ways. Like somebody who's in a cult, Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormonists. The sad thing is these people actually think by doing their good deeds that they're working their way as Mormons would say, to the third celestial kingdom where they forever get to, where they get to become their own gods and forever populate the planets. Or the, well, their wives do. They get to forever be uh, pregnant, populating planets. My wife don't want to do that. All right? Two was enough. But uh, it, excuse me, but that's, it's a workspace thing. Hey, let us consider the evidence so that we can help them lead them to the truth. Right? And that's what we're doing. But, but here's the nail in the coffin. DNA. The Book of Mormon actually says that the Native American population is descendants of their ancestors that they call the Lamanites. They were the Lamanites and the Nephites, according to the Book of Mormon, right? And according to the Lamanites, they say that the Lamanites originated from ancient Israel about 2,600 years ago, and that the Native American peoples here are ancestors of these supposed people. Well, here's the problem. DNA samples have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Native American peoples are descendants from Siberian and Asian ancestors, not made up of these so-called Mormon tribes. Further all, there is no archaeological evidence from other mythical Mormon tribes called the Nephites, who were supposed to be the white and exceedingly fair people. So there's nothing. Zilcho. Now, again, contrast that to the Bible. How many historical facts did the Bible get wrong? Zero. This isn't all of them. How well is the Book of Mormon doing? Right? Right? Why? Because we considered the evidence. Right? Just consider the evidence. It doesn't stand. It doesn't hold up. If it supposedly came from God, then logically it has to be true. Then why is your book full of known lies? And are you willing to risk your eternal destiny on that? Not me. 
I'll stick to the one that demonstrates that it's true and it came from God. Uh, one guy says this. He says, uh, we find there's good evidence from archaeology that the scriptures speak the truth. In many instances, the scriptures even reflect firsthand knowledge of the times and customs it describes. In other words, you know what the trend in archaeology is? You want to find something? Pick up the Bible. See where the Bible says it is. Go dig. It's there. Seriously, that's what they're doing. Okay, it's that accurate. It's 100% right. Okay. And he says this, while many have doubted the accuracy of the Bible, time and continued research have consistently demonstrated that the word of God is better informed than its critics. In fact, while thousands of finds from ancient worlds support in broad outline and often detail the biblical picture, not one, not one find has ever contradicted the Bible. Okay? Let's continue. Critics used to believe that the Old Testament could not be reliable because they felt that over a long period of time, the Old Testament writings would have changed, altered, edited, or been corrupted. And that's what we saw last week over here, you know, because that's what people say, well, yeah, right. You know, all the hundreds of years, not even hundreds, but thousands of years. You mean to tell me that they're going to get it accurate from back then? He tells one guy the story and he tells this guy, and he, you guys played that game, by the end it's all messed up. Well, that's just showing your ignorance of how the Bible is transmitted. Now, we talked about this uh, uh, before, okay, about the Old Testament specifically. We're going to see an example again with the Dead Sea Scrolls, okay? But to blow the thing away, that, because people say, well, wait a second. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, i.e. the Pentateuch, right? Okay, but one of the books, obviously, the first one is Genesis. How does he know what went on the Genesis account? Moses is after the flood. This is pre-flood. How do we know his accurate, uh, information is accurate? Well, as we saw before, this is the value of adding up the dates in the Bible. When you add up the dates in the Bible, the people used to live much longer. We saw that in the pre-flood atmosphere. That's completely logical and scientific. Okay, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Okay, but it, you get some interesting things. You can see that Adam, first of all, Adam knew Methuselah, for, and Methuselah said the year that he died, what would happen? The flood. Adam, the first man who was there when things were created, right, knew Methuselah for 240 years. Three years. Methuselah knew Noah for 600 years. He could tell Noah a lot of stuff in over 600 years, right? You ever sit down with Scott? Man, that guy can talk. You sat down with him for 600 years, right? You get, you get it ingrained, right? You get it going, right? Noah had six living ancestors that could have personally known Adam if he had up to dates. So not just Methuselah. He could have got it from a whole different, uh, right? From the first guy. This is Noah. In fact, all 10 of Abraham's Post-flood ancestors, even Noah, if you add up to dates, were still alive for his early life. So now you got it from Noah to Abram, he lapsed over. In fact, even more interesting, Noah's son Shem was still alive, okay, not just for Abraham, but even Isaac and Jacob. Okay, thus, you do the math, the first 2,157 years of mankind's history was covered by the lives of three guys. So much for going around the story in a circle, hoping they get it right over hundreds of people and hundreds of years. That's not what you find if you consider the evidence. Okay, very accurate information uh, that we see there, okay? Now, that's, of course, that issue, but how about the, the Old Testament itself, period? Well, it was put to the test. Critics used to believe that the Old Testament could not be reliable because they felt that over a long period of time, the Old Testament writings could have been changed, altered, edited, corrupted, but then in when? 1947. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found. These scrolls contain, among other writings, every book in the Old Testament except for Esther. Until the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, the earliest 
complete copy of the Old Testament was from about 900 A.D. You find the Dead Sea Scrolls, put the date there. This is a copy of the whole Old Testament, except for Esther, 1,000 years earlier than anything we were relying upon. So when that came out, the critics going, aha, we got you Christians now. There's no way in the world that this uh, book is not going to be, uh, the copy that we have from 900 AD is going to be accurate as what it was 1,000 years ago. All right, round six, let's go ahead and get it out. Jesus' name, okay, as we've seen before, folks, uh, when they compared it to uh, the one, the 900 AD to the 1,000 years earlier Dead Sea Scrolls, they found the New Testament had been handed down accurately through the centuries. No doctrinal changes, no nothing. The only thing were just minor variations like a, a punctuation or a minor spelling, right? Uh, but didn't change the meaning of the word. Very minor issues, okay? Uh, over 1,000 years, that's amazing. Okay, the great Jewish archaeologist Nelson Gluck, who is also known to be one of the top three archaeologists in history, said this. No this is one of the top guys. No archaeological discovery has ever contradicted, is your blank there, contradicted a single properly understood biblical statement. Right? It's, it, you can bank on it. And yet, uh, what you see is like with the Book of Mormon, oops, you get it wrong here, 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 and here, and here, and here, okay? Uh, but real quick, and I want to give you another example just real quick, uh, not just the Book of Mormon. Let's talk about those Jehovah's Witnesses. How about their Bible, right? Because, you know, they're all basically the same. They're religious books, and they all came from God. Oh, yeah, let's hear this one, Tom. This, hey, this is almost like you're making it up, but this is the fact. Consider the evidence. Okay, I'm not making this up. The Bible produced by the Jehovah's Witnesses is called the New World Translation, Okay. It uh, started, of course, uh, by a guy named Charles Russell. And I'm not making this up. You can check this out. This is common knowledge. He believed that he was the sole channel of communication between God and men. If somebody comes up to you and says that, what do you do? Run! Okay, right? He even referred to himself as God's mouthpiece. Oh, you know who also does that? But people don't run. They flock to. And he's coming here to America in September. The Pope. Ooh. How come he's okay to be the mouthpiece? No, don't think so. Uh, he taught that the churches of Christendom were started by... Are you ready for this one? I'm not making this up. You guys are going to think I'm... No, I'm not joking. He taught that churches of Christendom were started by bald-headed men with smoke on their brains. And he thought that if a dog's head were shaped like a man's head, then the dog could think like a man. Now, I'm making it up. Johannes Grip... See, the people, when they come knocking at your door... These people don't even know their history because it's kept from them. But when you consider the evidence, here's what's going on. Uh, Johannes Graeber, he was a former Roman Catholic priest after he got married uh, to a lady who was a medium and to spiritism. He got the idea that he could translate the New Testament in a more accurate way, okay, uh, if he would have help from this spirit medium. This is where they get their translation, right? So a guy with the occult background is the guy who's going to come up with a better translation. New World Translation, okay? Uh, also, not only that, but another guy who worked on it, first of all, there was no Hebrew, no Greek scholars, if they're going to come up with a better you know, translation, right? And as one guy in the organization, a former headquarters member of the Watchtower Society, he said, uh, the only Greek I knew was George Gangas of the Secretive Translation Committee, and he was no scholar for sure. He was Greek by descent, not he didn't know Greek. 
He himself told me that before he became, he came to the Watchtower Society, he was a short order cook in Columbus, Ohio. So let's consider the evidence tonight. Here we have the Bible, no errors, accurate, perfect, right? That's what you expect from came from God. But here you have the uh, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses uh, with their version uh, that was inspired by a guy who was involved in the occult, a guy who believed that bald-headed men had smoke coming off their brains and also believed in talking dogs, and it was all compiled by a short-order cook from Ohio who knew nothing about biblical languages. Thank you for coming to my house. Let me tell you something. Have you considered the evidence of your organization? <laughs> right? Don't close the door. Let them know in love. Now, another one, most people don't knew this, uh, know this, but uh, we'll get into it. Seventh-day Adventists. I am still amazed in the Christian community that most people believe that Seventh-day Adventism, uh, their teaching, is a Christian, and it's not. It is a works-based salvation, okay, when you get behind it. Not only that, they melge, uh, meld their writings and their so-called Bible. It's called the Clear Word Bible, their version, okay, with the writings of a lady named Ellen G. White, okay? And they consider her a prophetess, and they believe that her writings are on par with the Scripture. Let me give you some examples. During the 1800s, within a few years of each other, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian scientists, and Seventh-day Adventists were all presenting doctrines contrary to that what were held a traditional Bible believers. All of those I just mentioned, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian scientists, and Seventh-day Adventists all came out of the scene relatively about the same time. Okay? It was after one of the uh, Great Awakenings revival in the United States, true revivals, by the way, okay, uh, after that time frame. And it was almost like Satan's last-ditch effort to confuse and cloud the issue. And literally within just a matter of years, all these entities come off. In fact, you're going to see that some of the teachings from Seventh-day Adventists are spinoffs from Jehovah's Witnesses because they all come from the same root, right? And things of that nature. And some of the charismatic fringe groups, it's all starting at the same time, right? Now, the central Seventh-day Adventist doctrine states that the judgment of believers works. This is their teaching. Works will determine their salvation. That's what they teach. That's their doctrine. Okay. Uh, other heretical uh, Adventist doctrines include the teaching that Christ's atonement for sins on the cross was incomplete. That Jesus Christ is the Mike Angel, uh, Archangel Michael. Who also believes in that? Jehovah's Witnesses. Why? Because these guys came out of the same root, right? So, uh, so some of their teachings go back and forth. The late Seventh Day Adventist founder Ellen G. White, this lady. Born on, uh, uh, in 1827 in Maine, Ellen was hit in the head with a rock at the age of nine. She remained unconscious for three weeks, unable to attend school following the incident. Ellen's education ceased at the third grade level. Both her health and her emotions remained fragile as she grew older. She came uh, upon, uh, she got married to a guy, a Millerite, another one kind of the same group there at the same time frame, uh, James White in 1846, because she claimed to have the spirit of prophecy. Now, that's another dangerous word coming out of people's mouths. The Lord told me, I got a word from the Lord. The spirit of God told really? Really? Uh, excuse me, hold on. Before you start, can we consider something in the scripture? The Bible says if you say that you are a, a prophet of God, before you tell me what you supposedly believe that God told you to tell me, do you know what the penalty is if you get it wrong? We kill you. Old Testament, you get stoned. 
And praise God, we're not on the old covenant because a lot of people would die. Okay, but uh, excuse me, are you going to be that flippant now? That's what the scripture says. That's a dangerous statement. Oh, the word, the Lord. Because what are they doing? Because that's what we saw before. That's subjective. It's not objective. This is objective. I can put this to the test. I can examine it. I can cross-reference it. I can consider the evidence. But if you say that somehow God came to you in a vision, I can't. How do I test that? I'm not inside your brain. Right? That's where it gets dangerous because it's outside the scripture. But she believed that she had the spirit of prophecy. Okay? Is what she believed. And, uh, and she therefore became the visible, absolute authority figure in the Adventist, uh, Seventh-day Adventism. Her writings grew 17 times as large as the entire Bible. Her followers uh, referenced these 5,000 articles, 49 books, and 55,000 manuscript pages she claimed to write and regard them as inspired as the Bible. Okay, but they kind of keep away some of her more embarrassing teachings away in what's called the white estate vault. But some of them got out. I'm going to share a couple of them with you. Here's what this so-called prophet of God uh, taught and believed. In a vision, she also claimed to have traveled, complete with wings, to various planets uh, that she believed were full of inhabitants. Uh, she reported meeting Enoch on a distant planet on one of her journeys, Dom. And other times, she saw angels using Golden Gate passes to go in and out. See, they had RFID technology long before we came up with it. You know, it's, just, it's awesome, right? And pretty soon, just your cell phone, you can just make it. Wow. Uh, some of her so-called uh, visions, listen, this isn't popular. They won't tell you this. Reflected their racist views. Watch this. For example, she believed that certain races of people were the result of sexual relations between man and animal. She's talking about the black African people. She believed the, the reason why we have uh, black African uh, people today is because of sexual relations between man and animal, and she referred to that as, an, quote, her, her word, an amalgamation. So that's why we have folks with that type of skin color today. Excuse me? Okay? <laughs> Can you believe that? They, they don't... Didn't tell me that. Didn't tell me that. I think it was year before last when you came in my office and you wanted to use our sanctuary for your church services. But I knew it. And after he got done with his spiel, I had some questions for him. Let's talk about what you believe. Because obviously, if we're going to allow you to use your services here, we need to be on the same page. Did you know? And his countenance began to change. And he was not happy with me. And then he went from pleasant to beginning very mad at me. And it was time for you to go bye-bye, mister. Excuse me? Most people don't know this. Why? Because you never considered the evidence. Flip it around. A lot of people attack the Bible, but flip it around. Okay, let's fine. Let's take a look at your religious book, right? We'll go to town. Let's go to town on the scripture, right? We've considered the evidence. But let's put yours to the test. It gets even worse than that. Uh, despite the unbiblical nature of her visions, her followers continue to accept her as God's messenger, her writings as inspired as the Bible. They have their own version of the Bible called the Clear Word Bible. Listen, which insert the words and ideas of Ellen G. White directly into the biblical text. Are we going to take man's writings? I don't care how supposedly godly that person is. And insert them, mix them in, weave them in cut them into the scripture and say, this is the word of God? No, you don't tamper with the baby. Right? Scripture even gives a warning of that. 
Don't you add, don't you take away. Because this is from God, right? And it's one whole piece, don't you? But they add her writings to it, okay? So you look at the evidence that's going on there. I don't know about you, but I would say that I would stick to our uh, scripture than a false prophetess who denied Orthodox Christian doctrine, taught false teachings, said that certain rays were done from breeding from animals, and then you insert her writings into your so-called Bible. Excuse me? Right? Now, is that being bigoted? Is that being mean-spirited because we talked about Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and, and Seventh-day Adventists today? No. Because that's what you're supposed to do if you're an honest, intellectual seeker of the truth. God did not say, when you become a Christian, check your brain at the door. There's plenty of room on the foyer and that table out there, right? We'll get an air mister so it won't dry out. And you just pop it back in when services are over. Because that's what Christians are, right? When you get saved, you check it. No. He said, come let us reason together. Use your brain. And we can not only logically defend the authority of the Scripture when you consider the evidence, but we need to use that to flip it around to those people who would have the audacity to say, oh no, our book is just as good or better. Really? Bring your brain in. Let's examine the evidence. There is no book on the planet, I don't care what the religion is, that holds up to the purity and the authority of this. Why? Because this is the only book on the planet that comes with the handwriting, literally, the authority and the power of God. You don't have to doubt Lord willing, next time we're going to get into the scientific evidence that, yes, the Bible is accurate, okay? It's got some great examples. I was hoping to get to it tonight, but unfortunately, that preacher disease was all over me. And I got it talking, right? But next week, we're going to deal with the scientific evidence. And yes, because how, isn't that what they do? Especially from the evolutionist camp. Oh, the Bible is science. Don't you know the Bible teaches that the earth is flat? No, it doesn't. Read your Bible. Circle of the earth, Isaiah 40. Bible's been teaching all along that the earth is round, and on and on and on it goes. We'll consider the evidence, Lord willing, next week. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, 
How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, 
Nothing that the person did because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.